episode 142 of the Aggressive Progressive Podcast. Hate is a heavy burden. Time to choose love. Let's start the show. We are now the defenders of the stronghold of democracy and of equal opportunity. Welcome to the Aggressive Progressive Podcast. I'm Chris Hahn, your host. Don't forget to like, rate, review this podcast. Tell a friend about it, too. That's the best thing you can do. Um, yeah, I, I quoted Martin Luther King. I'm recording this on Martin Luther King Day. I guess I paraphrased Martin Luther King, as I think a lot of people are today. I think that's the tradition. I always find it rich when people who are doing everything they can to suppress the right, suppress the right to vote around this country quote Dr. Martin Luther King on Martin Luther King Day, because if he was alive today, they would call him a communist the same way they call me a communist. I mean, I, I got a call on my WABC radio show yesterday from somebody, and I started trying to engage the guy, and I asked him a question, and he said, he doesn't, uh, he doesn't take questions from communists. And I'm thinking, uh, I don't know what you do for a living, buddy, but I bet you you're living on a pension. He was an older guy. Uh, but anyway, I digress. I, I use that quote. Uh, at the beginning, because I just feel like we are at each other's throats in this country too much, myself included. Sometimes I, I had a, I had an experience over the weekend with a friend of mine, a very, very close friend of mine, um, a political conversation that just went south quick. My fault mostly, um, his fault too. I mean, I, I I'm taking the blame, but uh, I, I blame myself because frankly. I guess I get frustrated when people I know take the sides of people who I know to be, you know, basically grifting them, right? People who look at, 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 at my friend and people like him who are older and whiter and uh, my friend's a former military guy and good guy, good family guy, and they are basically playing on their fears, whether they know it or not. To keep clicks, to keep ratings, they're they're showing them not even half the story, just the part of the story that serves the narrative that these people are pushing. Particularly, you know, I, I mentioned it a lot. Tucker Carlson, who I know is full of it, I I did his show for weeks and weeks and weeks. I met Tucker Carlson in 2010 when he didn't have a show. We would be in green rooms together. We'd be on panels together. I know the guy extremely well he is not this radical populist that he appears to be on uh, his show he is without a doubt uh, an elitist I, I, I no joke uh, the man is worth millions before the TV forget it he's an heir he's the heir to like the Swanson TV dinner fortune so I got a little frustrated when somebody who I've known all my life, was basically feeding me Tucker Carlson talking points. And I shouldn't have gotten frustrated. But it it brought me to this conclusion that we've got to figure something out in this country. If friends could get into heated arguments, and it didn't become a physical argument, it just was very, very heated, and really almost end friendships, friendships that have existed for decades, by the way, not just a guy who I've known for a couple of years. Like This is a guy I've known since I was 12, 13. If, if friendships could be rattled 
by this environment, which, by the way, it's not here by accident. It's here for a couple of reasons. It's here because the media wants to keep people watching and the right wing media particularly keeps you watching by getting you angry. The left wing media does it too, but the right wing media does it a lot more. Left wing media has never really figured out how to keep people tuned in the way the right does. That's why, you know, you know people talking about Biden's numbers, he's at 33% of Quinnipiac poll. Look inside those numbers. His numbers among Republicans haven't changed much. In fact, they haven't changed at all. He was never liked by Republicans, right? He was getting 7% among Republicans. His number among Democrats who are being critical of Joe Biden because, let's face it, COVID's not gone. The testing strategy has sucked. And the messaging coming out of the CDC changes every three days. So, yeah, Democrats are being critical of him. You never saw that kind of fluctuation among Republicans with Trump or even Bush. Because the right-wing echo chamber keeps those people propped up, at least among right-wingers. Now, independents will vacillate back and forth. But the right-wing, you know, would not abandon Trump or Bush. Reagan and Herbert Walker Bush didn't have the same echo chamber that Bush the first, uh, Bush the second, and, and Trump enjoyed. Left-wing media is fragmented. There is no Fox News equivalent. MSNBC is not Fox News. Fox News, the rating is double or triple. And quite frankly, forget about the rating. Um, most Republicans will spend some time on Fox News every week, right? I know this because the people who recognize me in public are Republicans. <laughs> okay, they're not liberals. All of them, any one of them has seen me there. There is no similar thing. Not every Democrat's watching MSNBC. And I'm sorry, I know that they think CNN is very slanted left, and it has slanted a little bit to the left over the recent couple of years, only because the truth is on the left. But it is not necessarily in the bag for the Biden administration the way Fox can be, was or was, for Trump, and maybe still is to some extent. But we've got to get past this. We've got to find a way to talk to each other and not have it devolve so quickly. And again, I, I'm talking to me as much as I am to you. Hate is a heavy burden. I I don't want to hate anyone. I don't want to hate. I don't even want to hate Donald Trump, frankly. I don't feel like spending my efforts hating that man. I want to love. I want to move the ball forward. I think we all need to find a way to do that. And I think we have to find a way to talk to our friends and our relatives who are on the other side in a way that's constructive. Now, I don't know if that's possible. If people are, you know, just tuned into that right-wing echo echo chamber and are not willing to even, you know, agree on the facts. I mean, what blew me up the other night was a conversation about Ashley Babbitt in January 6th. And maybe I overreacted and said something about Ashley Babbitt to him that probably I didn't really mean. Like, I don't care what her parents think. Of course I care what her parents think. I still believe that Ashley Babbitt is a terrorist. Now, do I blame her completely for her actions that day? No. I blame the people who radicalized her, one of whom is Tucker Carlson. Sorry, Tucker. Yeah, you. 
but definitely the former guy, and definitely people like Mike Flynn and Roger Stone and Steve Bannon, they bear some responsibility for her death as well. But my friend seemed to have forgotten what happened on January 6th. Didn't want to acknowledge that police officers were beaten with American flags and tear gassed. And that Ashley Babbitt was trying to go through a door behind which were members of Congress from both sides of the aisle, I might add. And they were being protected by Capitol Police officers who told Ashley Babbitt and the group that were with her to stop and turn around, and they did not listen. And they put her up through that door, and she was shot dead. The officer did the right thing in that situation. We don't know what would have happened if Ashley Babbitt got through that door and then door. Would they have taken the guns from these people? Would they have used those guns to kill members of Congress? You know, last week we saw that this was not just some spontaneous event. There were arrests. The Oath Keepers, Elmer Stewart Rhodes, was indicted on seditious conspiracy. We have learned that they were stashing weapons in Virginia across the river and had boats just in case the bridges were closed to run guns to the Capitol. So once they took the Capitol, they could hold the Capitol. It was an evil plan. Thank God it didn't work. But I don't want to even hate him. I just, we got to let go of the hate in this country. And I want him to be held accountable. I want him to be, uh, I want there to be consequences for his actions. Do not get me wrong. And there should be, and I bet there will be. But I don't want to hate him. I don't want to spend any more time hating anybody. I want to love I think that was the message of Martin Luther King. I I quoted something else on Martin Luther King Day about, you know, basically people not getting involved, right? I mean, that's the quote. I I don't want to paraphrase it. I don't have it in front of me right now. But we got to get involved. We got to work towards our goals. We have to have our voices heard, particularly when it comes to voting. Now, I don't think that this voting rights bill is going to pass this week, but that doesn't mean that other things can't get done around voting. I think that there is a critical mass around reforming the Electoral Count Act. That should happen. Uh, It should take away any confusion about the vice president's role in the Electoral Count Act. It should make it very hard for the Congress to overturn the results of the states. It should also make it very hard for the state legislatures to overturn the will of the people. Let the courts have a role if the legislature disagrees with the way the votes were counted. But the courts need to be involved. So anyway, we'll see what happens. I have I have one of my all-time best guests returning today. Uh, the Mooch is with us. Uh, Anthony Scaramucci, you know him. He spent 11 days as the communications director for Donald Trump and has been making up for it ever since. I think he's done a pretty good job. A fantastic guest on the radio. So uh, stick around for my interview with Mooch, and then I'll be back to wrap it up. Joining me now, one of my favorite guests coming back to the show, Anthony Scaramucci, the one-time communications director for Donald J. Trump, current 
member of the broadcast team on CNBC. How you doing, Mooch? Um, I'm doing great. I can't complain. I love being on your show, and it's, I'm delighted to be back on. Well, happy birthday. I know you had a birthday last week. I tried to get you on last yeah. week, your birthday. Yeah, uh, you know, my, my son may be dyslexic because his dad, is this your 85th birthday? I'm like, <laughs> no, Nicholas, it's my 58th birthday. So I don't know. We have to test them now. 58. My feelings, though. 58, 85, it's all the same to little kids, right? Yeah, no doubt about that. It's all... I remember... It was a kick. It was a kick, though. I won't tell you where he kicked me, but it hurt. Oh, sorry to hear that. I remember my dad turning 30. I I remember it vividly. And I remember thinking how old he was when he turned 30. Right. And and I look back on it now, I'm like, God, he was way too young to have a 10-year-old, 13-year-old son. (laughs) So, so, So funny, because I remember my dad's 40th birthday having the same reaction, so... Here you are. I got every morning. I get up and, and and look in the mirror and say, "50 is young." You look good, man. You look good. You got a full head of hair. I don't think you diet. I don't think you're using Rudy Giuliani's Grecian no, no, formula. No, no. I do. Well, well, let me let's talk about that because you know I like truth in advertising. I 100 percent dye my hair. I was using Cuban leader black as like a polish, uh-huh. but it looked terrible on TV. So I've lightened it up. I'm now using Latin American dictator brown. <laughs> well, let me tell you the difference between me and Giuliani since you, you got me on the topic. I use a union-based professional hair colorist. There you go. I am not throwing Grecian formula in designed to leak uh, past my earlobe by 5 o'clock. I mean, it wasn't even 5 o'clock. I don't want to look like Sean Hannity on the air. You know, I'm friends with Sean. He looks like the Eskimo man now on, you know, he looks like he's coming in from the cold uh, with all that snow on the top. With the salt and pepper. See, I think that's a good look for him, actually. I think it's a good look for him. I I don't know. I think it'd be a good look for you, too. I think you... you, He looks... He looks 200 years old on TV. That's my opinion. But anyway. See, the problem with you is you do. I got plenty of time to to let my hair go gray. Well, the problem with you is you can't sample it because you're so in demand on television that you can't take a day off to do it. Now, my hair might go gray at some point, but nobody will even know it because I buzz it down before I go on TV. All right. Well, there you go. See that? That's the difference between you and me. But I'm dying my hair. I'm a proud hair dyer. (laughs) Uh, But I'm telling you right now, I am not Rudy Giuliani with the hair. I go and use a professional hair color. Well, that's the only way to go. That's the only way to go. So yeah. let, let's talk economy because you are a money guy. Uh, I mean, before you were in politics, long before you were in politics, you know, you, you made your bones uh, working in the stock market and managing people's money. Uh, I know you manage a huge fund right now. Uh, everybody's talking about inflation, inflation, inflation. Give me your, you know, elevator sp- speech about what's going on with inflation and and when you think it's going to end. Okay, so elevator speech, if you add money to the money supply and you have the same level of goods and services and you add money to the money supply, therefore it's going to be more money chasing the goods and services, the price of those goods and services are going to go up. So that's the simplest thing. The Federal Reserve added 42% more dollars and they put them into M2 from April 1st of 2020 at the start of the pandemic to today. Right. So, Chris, if you got 42% more dollars chasing the same goods and services, the price up. It is important for your listeners to understand that is a macroeconomic problem. Uh, and the Fed basically made the decision we're going to rain money down on small businesses, rain money down on people because we're forcing them into their homes to try to prevent the COVID-19 spread. Right. Uh, result of which the side effect of that was going to be inflation, uh, but they were willing to do that in order to solve the near-term problems for the economy. 
Secondary factor is the supply chain. And so when you put everybody out of work like that, and a lot of people out of work globally, and then you go to start the engine again, you've got a lot of goods and services that have slipped at factories. You've got a lot of goods that have slipped internationally, and then you're putting them on boats into the United States. And unless you get these guys working 24-7, which they are now, you're not going to clear up or unbundle the supply chain. So it's been exacerbated by two factors, volume of money that was put in by the Federal Reserve and the fact that we had to restart or reprime the economic pump. I'm going to tell you something. Some of your viewers are going to like it. Some of your viewers are not going to like it. It's not Joe Biden's problem. This would have happened no matter who was in office. Mm. It could have been a Donald Trump inflation. And you know, because you've been in politics a long time, we have a tendency to situational, we have situational problems that we personalize on people. Yep. And so it's Joe Biden's inflation, but really wasn't his inflation. This got engendered by the Fed. If, if Donald Trump had won that election, we'd be talking about Donald Trump's inflation. There was no way any American politician would have stopped what is happening and, right now. And it's a global inflation. It's not just happening here. And it's a, glo- it's a global inflation. Now, you could, you could make the argument, should we be doing that with our currency Should we be manipulating things short term? And I always tell people whether we should be doing it or not, politicians are going to do that. And so we can have a debate over it, but it doesn't really matter. Every politician goes to the left in a crisis and they start raining money down on people. And And George Bush did that. And so did Barack Obama as we were going into the 2008 crisis. But it didn't it didn't result in the kind of inflation we're seeing now. I mean, this is uh, this is is truly hurting some people, particularly at the lower income levels in this country, even though their wages are up and there's no unemployment in this country right now. Uh, It it is kind of a mixed bag economy, but people are feeling the pain of this inflation, which I think is reflected in Joe Biden's numbers, because even though he can't control it, uh, he's going to it is his problem, right? He didn't. It, he, yes. It's it's not his fault, but it is his problem. I always he say that he didn't he didn't create it. But, yes, it is his problem because it's reflecting in his poll numbers. But you have to remember something. And this is what worries me about this. Every time we're executing a monetary policy strategy to solve our problems, it requires a dump of currency, a dump of money into the system. And so who benefits from that? The very wealthy benefit from that because they own the assets. That's what happens. The assets go up in value. Let me give a specific example. Calvin Klein, he purchased his oceanfront property in East Hampton in 1987 for $3.3 million. He sold it for $85 million last summer. Amazing. Okay, so so as long as you're making money, the asset that you hold will, will track the fiat currency or sometimes exceed it if it's valuable and irreplaceable. But what about the laborer? The laborer that's working with their time and energy, you're actually taxing them through inflation, Mm. a regressive tax, and it hurts the poor more than anybody because if they had $10,000 in their bank account last year, they now have only $9,200 of purchasing power, the same $10,000, of course, but it can only buy $9,200 of goods and services compared to the year before because we just registered an 8% inflation. So so to me, uh, you're not going to solve this problem overnight. But one of the things that we're not doing in our country, and I think you know this better than anybody because you repeat it on the show, we don't have a really good fiscal policy, infrastructure policy. Uh, you know, I'm a, even though I'm a Republican, I'm a supporter of the Build Back Better plan. Yep. 
I've repeated why that is, because if we don't help the lower and middle income people dig themselves out of the hole that they're in right now, uh, it's going to be a strain in the classes, and there's going to be economic anxiety, and that never ends well for a society. No, and that's the key, right? We got to help the workers in this country uh, participate in this economy and, and really take it for what it is. So we're talking about the economy. We're talking about this Build Back Better plan, which, you know, I, Biden's having his problems getting this through the Senate. I I, I, I don't think Manchin is, is, as, is as immovable as people make him out to be, but something's got to give. What's your take? Well, you know, it's, it's a terrible thing. I mean, I got my 11-day PhD in Washington nonsense. And so I probably have more cynicism today as a result of that. But here's what I would tell you, you know, unfortunately, uh, uh, I think uh, Manchin's in the tank. And I, and I, and by the way, I know a lot of Republicans in New York City that raised a ton of money for Joe Manchin. And you know, money talks in yep. politics. And he was wishy-washy. He was for the plan. Lo and behold, a huge amount of money showed up in his campaign coffers, and he's dead set against the plan. And he also, he's in a state that you know is a reddish state, so he's always got to straddle the line there. And so they don't mind him being where he is on this issue, uh, but he did let the Democrats down. He did let his caucus down. But here's the thing that you and I both know. Elections do matter. Yep. And uh, Donald Trump got voted out of office. He was repudiated in the popular vote, lost by seven and a half, eight million votes. He only lost the Electoral College by 40,000. But there was a mixed bag message from the country, uh, right? Clear message, Donald Trump, he sucks, let's get him out. Uh, but we don't really like the nature of where the government's going. And so we're going to have a hung jury as it relates to the Congress. And that's that's what Joe Biden is faced with right now. So, So unless he can pull some magic, which I don't think can happen because history is against them. You know that. The yep. last sitting president to win the Congress, I think it was in 02. It was George W. Bush. It was during a war. Uh, every high-profile president, all presidents are high-profile, but I'm talking even popular presidents, lose the Congress. Reagan lost it. Clinton lost it. Obama lost it. Uh, they go on to win re-election, all three of those, but they don't win the uh, congressional midterm. So, so the, the president is up against it. He's likely going to lose the congressional midterm. Definitely going to lose the House. Um, I'm not so sure yeah. he's going to lose the Senate. Okay. But. Well, when I say the congressional, I was thinking of the House. I was going to tell you, I got it at a 50-50 toss-up on the, on the Senate when I look at the, at the states. Uh, but I do think he's going to lose the House. You just said he thought you think he's going to lose the House. And by the way, I think it would be surprising for you and I on the Wednesday after Election Day, uh, Joe Biden winning the house unless something extraordinary happens in the next set while the economy better you know the the supply chain issue and the price of gas better tumble for yeah. that to happen you know it's just yeah. it's not exactly and, and, again, and again you and i are big boys we know that that's that's what he's up against so if build back better doesn't happen uh the economy's going to heal the supply chain issues we, we may not have transitory inflation meaning impermanent but i don't think we have secular inflation meaning that that's going to be the next three to five year trend line. There's too many positive forces for deflation, too much technology in our midst, too much innovation coming that's going to further put pressure 
on prices and reduce prices. And so that was the phenomenon we experienced after the global financial crisis. They they lit us up and they rained down money on the economy, but it was offset by all that great technology that came into the economy as well. I think we'll see that again. So the irony is these these policy moves, which I'm not in love with, just hitting no no fiscal policy, no other legs to the economic stool, uh, the government too weak to make decisions, too much of a split in the Congress, too much polarization. So they're overly relying on the Federal Reserve. That's a one-legged stool, Chris. They're always wobbly. Yeah. Uh, they could hit it with fiscal. They could hit it with, uh, you know, spending related to infrastructure, education, jobs, training. That would have a great dramatic improvement in the economy and the lower and middle classes. Uh, but they've got a mixed bag. And, and remember, you know, this is a money game. And the, the Republicans are getting their donors to tell them, hold the line on spending unless you're in power. If well, you're in I, power, I, I, Donald I, Trump can spend $8.7 trillion in yeah, years. No, they never, they, but, they but all hold the line on spending if a Democrat's in power. They find religion on spending yeah, when Democrats right are in power, but they, they have but no limits when they're. Yeah. It's conditional. I want excessive and overwhelming spending if a Republican is in power. But I want you to cripple the Democrat with spending I, if he's in power. Mooch, or, or I don't even know. And, I don't even know why this game. I don't even know why this game is being played anymore. And especially a guy like Manchin. I'm sorry, he's not up for four to, for two more two and a half more years. He's going to lose in two and a half more years if he runs in that state as a Democrat. If he changes parties, maybe he he holds on. They're not electing a Democrat to the United States Senate in West Virginia in the year 2024. It's not going to happen. Whoever the Republican is going to get, you know, 65 percent, 70 percent of the vote in West Virginia. And whoever's on that ticket with him uh, is going to win. And if it's not Joe Manchin, uh, if Joe Manchin's got a D next to his name in that year, he's done. It's over for him. And he has made it very clear that he doesn't want to change parties. But, you know, these guys are just dying on a cross for nothing. Well, you know, I think he made a lot of dough. I think I think he packed his uh, car. You know, these guys can or have a tremendous amount of flexibility on the money that comes into their campaign spending accounts. Yep. And uh, you know, he's uh, you know, I mean, the one thing you say about Joe Manchin, he's got bought and paid for, and at least he's you know he's a reliable bought and paid for person. Some of these guys should buy him, and then they switch on anyway. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I mean, at least well, most of them you know, can't be bought. <laughs> like yeah, some of them yeah. can't be bought. Like who? I think I think a lot of them can't be bought. I think okay. I think a lot of them raise so much money that it's kind of hard to buy them. <laughs> are we are we, we going to talk about the insider trading stuff that goes on in the Congress or no? No, nah, I mean, look, there's a lot of that, and and that's a topic for a whole other show. I'd have to be yeah, we, we, I'd have to be yeah, much I mean, better prepared to have that conversation with you. No, than but I there's a lot of cynicism about that, right? I mean, there's only three hedge funds in America that outperform the stock market, but there's. Uh, a lot of House of Representatives and Senators that have outperformed the stock market. So it's a little embarrassing. It's bad optics. But you know what? I would tell you right now, and people would get mad at me, pay these people more money so they don't have to do stuff like well, that and have to be focused on their campaign fundraising. I agree. And all that other I also thing. say get money out of politics completely. Let it be funded by the government. I, I don't understand why there is... Uh, you know, this whole need to raise money all the time. It, it's horrible. I think it, it ruins it. So, you know, I think it's the Plessy versus Ferguson of our time. I think Citizens United is the separate but equal as it relates to campaign fundraising and financing. So if I'm a billionaire, I can rain down the money. Uh, but if you're a poor person, you've got one vote. Yeah. Yep. It's ho- so it- ultimately that is there's an there's uh, a, 
symbolic, optical, and real fundamental awareness with that. That's a great analogy. We're going to talk more about that. You blew me away with that Plessy versus Ferguson analogy. It, it makes, you know, I'm a lawyer, you're a lawyer. I mean, you went to Harvard. I went to the Harvard of Queens, St. John's University School of Law. Yeah, that uh, means you learn more about the law than I do. I, I probably tutored several of your Harvard classmates uh, for the bar exam. No question. <laughs> we had no clue. I failed. I just, that's uh, a public, public uh, radio show. I failed the bar twice because I was a cocky, insecure, chip-on-my-shoulder lunatic. And I thought, what the hell? I You only need a 66% to pass it. I'm not going to study. And of course, uh, that type of intellectual arrogance and immaturity and stupidity led to two failures. And I finally passed it the third time. How's that? It so would, that, the, that didn't happen at the Queens of uh, No, Harvard, I, I, I will tell you this right now. Time. I've only studied for two tests in my life, the bar exam and my final exam in tax. I got an A in tax. I, cause I'm just not good with numbers. You know, I'm not a money guy like you, but I got an A in tax cause I worked at it and I studied, I told my mother two weeks before the bar exam, I said, just don't call me for the next two weeks. If somebody dies other than, you know, one of my brothers or sisters or your dad, just don't call me. <laughs> okay. I got to get through right this. Call. I got to get through this. You, you made the right call. I'm yeah. water skiing on Long Island out here in Manhasset Bay. And, uh, my friends thought I was an idiot and it was a classic aunt and grasshopper story. And of course, I, I I came up short. And by the way, my, the first time I missed it by one multi-state question. So New York State does not round up. I got a 65.6 on the bar exam and four-tenths of a percent failed. I missed it by one question. I, I got a 172 on the multi-state. You needed a 113 to pass that year. They didn't even grade my state portion. Which you know, probably because I was so far ahead, I didn't even need it. But that's all, all I right. did. All keep, I did. Keep keep bragging. But yeah, here's the well. Point. I mean, yeah, that and the fact that you're about seven thousand times richer than me. Uh, you know, <laughs> it, it's you I know, know. I mean, I, there's very just remember there's very high taxes in our society. I'm a minority partner in my own life. Okay, I give <laughs> money now to Eric Adams and Kathy Hockle and Joe Biden. So. But 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 let's go to this because it's very important. Okay, they they pass this law, Citizens United. They say it's a First Amendment right to spend your money as you see fit. Uh, but it's a distortion. It's actually causing now public harm, right? So you, you proverbially can't ha- yell fire in a theater, right? And so you have a public harm because you've created an imbalance in the democracy. And what is a democracy supposed to be? It's supposed to be a consensus of all of us. And uh, we've got to go- figure out a way to govern ourselves. And so there's an unbalance. There's a separate but equal status among the citizens. If I'm wealthy, I've got a bigger, larger voice. I can put more weight on the political scale. And so I'm calling for a Brown versus Board of Education reform in campaign finance, where you have to accept that what's going on isn't fair. The separate but equal has been somewhat economically discriminatory, and it's hurting the democracy. And it shows up everywhere. Uh, in terms of the way politicians are thinking and their grab fest for the money. So we should figure out a way to equalize that. And if we do, you're going to get better policy decisions because you'll liquidate the extremists that's in the system. Yeah, I I mean, it it is. But how do you do it, right? I mean, that case makes it hard for Congress to reform itself. It almost makes it like you almost need to reform the Constitution, so, so there, the, the, this is something that, as an entrepreneur, you have to believe, right? Uh, Elon Musk thinks he's going to Mars. Most entrepreneurs or normal people would say, okay, 
why the hell would that happen and why do you want to do that? But it's going to make the attempt to do that, right? And so entrepreneurs have to think outside of the box. I'm going to say something to you that's stupendous and you'll say, okay, that could never happen. But if you're an entrepreneur, it's your destiny to try to make it happen. And I'm just going to point out, we've had 27 amendments to the Constitution. Uh, We have a 246-year-old country. Uh, That means we should be amending the Constitution every six to eight years. Uh, We haven't had a meaningful amendment since the Voting Rights Act. The the 27th Amendment in 93, as you know, was an administrative amendment. It is really the Voting Rights Act in 1965, which is now 56 years ago. And so this country needs to be renewed. You know, you got your iPhone uh, in 2007, it's gone from 1 to 13 in, 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 in 15 years. I make yeah, less man. money than you. I, I only have the 12. All right. Well, that's <laughs> the point, though. We don't, you, don't have a, you don't have a meaningful amendment to the Constitution, right. and we got to get one. And that, that should be it, that we have to create an equal playing field. Uh, it is almost like an uh, equal rights act for political contributions, and we have to create an equal playing field. Now, there'll be tremendous conservative pushback from that. They don't like that, uh, but it would be fair. It would make the democracy fair. Does it still allow, in your opinion, I mean, Buckley v. Vallejo made it very clear that a millionaire could spend all of his own money if he wants on his own campaign. Um, do you think we need to end that too? Like, do we have to go that far where we have to stop equating the expenditure of money with First Amendment speech. So, so it's, it's fascinating. So, I think there's a distinction there, because because I do think Buckley versus Valero, and you know, you're bringing back stuff from 35 years ago for me. But I remember the distinction. It's my own money, and I do have the right of free speech that's attached to my personhood. See what's happening in the political system? It's my money, and I'm attaching it to other people, and there is a quid pro quo for that. In my own case, I'm taking the political risk and the decision-making. It's almost like putting up your own capital for your own business. Right, right, right. There's a quid pro quo when you take it. Yeah, there's no quid pro quo when you're spending your own money. So what you're saying is, and and it makes perfect sense, get rid of the quid pro quo. Get rid of of it. Yeah, so you're not going to stop Michael Bloomberg from spending $200 million to run for mayor, You know, which was at the time... $180 $180 million more than anybody ever spent to run for mayor the first time he spent that kind of money. You're not going to prohibit that, uh, but you're going to prohibit Michael Bloomberg from spending $200 million to elect you know, 40 members of the House of Representatives across the country. I think you got to do that. I think, I think, it's, I think it's too much power. Uh, and uh, you know, we, we could admire the Koch family, uh, and we can admire the wealth that they created as a group over many generations, but we do have to question how that money's filtering now into the political system. And by the way, there are also uh, leftist politicians, George Soros. I happen to like him personally. I know him, and I like him. I think he's totally maligned unfairly. I think so, too. I don't think but he's I, that but, much involved. If he was, where's my check? No, I understand <laughs> that, but I, I think he's ridiculously m- maligned or trying to disfigure him because he's a— a billionaire, they two-dimensional. He's also demonize. Jewish, and they they like to pick on of, Jews, of, of course, and they want to demonize him. And yep. I think all of that's unfair, but I do think the notion that those people should be flatlined from a monetary perspective because it'll make the overall system fair. Yeah. And again, remember, remember, you're in a push-pull in a democracy, okay? And we we want our freedom, 
But the great irony about our freedom, it's actually conjoined to each other. Yep, yep. Uh, you know, we're fighting over the mass mandate, the vaccine mandate. The Supreme Court has ruled on the it, vaccine it, mandate. It, it all boils down to how selfish can we be? Anthony Scaramucci, see him on CNBC, former White House communications director, so many other things. I mean, I don't want to judge you by the 11 days you spent working for that maniac, frankly, because... Uh, I think it informed you in a lot of ways that has made you a better person, frankly. Well, well, you know, we've talked about that. It, 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 it did. I made some classic mistakes based on ego. I think I told you my wife hated the SOB probably more than Melania hates him, or at least up there. I mean, probably at the same level. But <laughs> anyway, you know, I made a mistake and we move on. But here's the thing about you and me, because we're from Long Island, my brother, we own our mistakes. Okay, I'm not one of those guys that sits around and tries to explain it away or cast an alibi for myself. I own the mistake, and all we can do is, after we own a mistake, is move on and try to do better the next time. There's nothing more we can do. Absolutely. And, and by the way, anybody who, who doesn't get that, I, I don't know what else to tell them. You know, sometimes people make mistakes and they say, okay, I made a mistake. I saw my mistake. Uh, I'm trying to uh, move on from that. You know, if you, once you acknowledge it, what else can you do? That's all you can do. So let's just talk. Let's keep talking about, you know, reforming this political system, which we see, you know, to me, I'm watching these hearings this week in Congress. I'm watching Rand Paul battle with Fauci and Fauci just goes right at him saying, yeah, why would this guy be attacking me the way he is? Well, there you go. Look at his website. Donate money to me to help me stop Fauci. It's like everything is a grift. It appears to me everybody's looking for that way to get their name out there to raise more money. And the only way you do it in this country is by saying, I'm at war with the people you're at war with. Well, yeah, no, we 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 split the country. You know, the World War Two generation didn't do that. They went to war together. They had common values. And so they made a decision that they were going to have the, the country be above that internecine and tribal nonsense. Yep. But in, in Rand Paul's case, I mean, he's just a wildly disgusting individual. Horrible. He sent out a uh, fundraising letter this morning uh, with the video of Anthony Fauci accusing him of raising money from uh, the fight. It's amazing. We've, uh, well, the one thing we agree on is we've got to fire Anthony Fauci. Look, at he's, got the, he's holding up the thing that says fire Anthony Fauci. And so Rand, Rand Paul wants to demonize one of our best public servants, who's been in our world for 35 years plus. He worked for every president since Reagan, Republican, Democrat. He's done done a lot, a lot of good, and it's out of the Trump playbook, right? Because it's manifesting from great intellectual insecurity. There's no greater or more insecure person I've met in my lifetime than Donald Trump. And so what happens is when you're that insecure, you get really frightened and intimidated by intellect around you, and then you try to steamroll them and you try to bully them, okay? And so the reason why we had several hundred thousand people unnecessarily die in 2020 into 2021, frankly, is because of that nonsense that came from that one man, Donald yep. Trump. And yep. so, and it's now, still with us, even as he tries to push back against it a little bit. Yeah, well, well, well but he, but he, he opened up the, he opened up the dam. And remember, this is where you and I now need to be indicted because uh, the a good 25 percent of the society has defected. Uh, And why did they do that? Because the establishment, which frankly I believe you and I are part of, because we're members of the media, lawyers, and et cetera, that 25% of the people feel like, what are you guys doing? You've mishandled the economy. You've made it unfair. You've turned me from an aspirational working class person 
into an economically desperational one, as a result of which now I want to hire people like Donald Trump to stick a finger in your eye, and I want to buy into conspiracy theorists and their podcasts, and and I want to take horse dewormer yep. uh, because I now know more than a public health official or a scientist. Well, I think it also goes back to what you were saying. That person. What you were saying a few minutes ago, when we were talking about how people are not putting their country first. They're just saying, what can I do for me? You know, how does this impact me? I'm going to be selfish. I'm not going to wear a mask when I go to the supermarket. I'm not going to get the COVID vaccine because who cares whatever, what, you know, about society? It, you know, the, the World War II generation all, you know, they all fought against a foreign enemy who they could see and they understood that if this guy wins, we're all going to be in a worse shape. What they're, you know, they've been lied to by so many people in the media about this virus. And they choose to believe it because they're selfish. They don't want to do what it takes to fight the virus. Yes, but it's it, you know again. I think it's way more complicated. I think that they've they they've bought into the conspiracy. They bought into well, the society's not working for me anymore. So I'm going to lose trust in the policymakers, the politicians, the Wall Streeters. I'm going to lose trust in the health and the medical establishment. Yeah. And so so it's a very complicated soup and so what we have to do is we have to figure out a way to build a bridge to those people and rebuild the trust and what you know Donald Trump did was he took out a gasoline can. Yeah. And he set fire to everything and and that was the wrong approach. It's not a healing approach. What would MLK Jr do in a situation like that? He would reach out with a peace offering and he would push for unification and forgiveness of both sides. Mm. But but you, you pointed out something that is true, you know, and both sides are, have to be indicted for this. They light each other up and demonize each other, and yeah. they send out fundraising letters. You know, uh, Elon Musk, you can like Elon Musk or dislike him. One thing Elon Musk did in 2021, he paid $11 billion in taxes. Yeah. Okay, and then you've got Elizabeth Warren saying that he paid no taxes and send me $5 so I can fight the boogeyman known as Elon Musk. And so, I mean, you know, what are you doing? Yeah. The guy paid $11 billion in taxes. So, well, it's not his fair share. Okay, well, change the tax code then. There you go. Right. So you were talking law. You know, Judge Learned Hand said that. Whatever you can get away with inside the legality of the tax code, that's the tax you should pay. Exactly. All right, so I got a couple minutes left with you. I got to ask you about your former boss, the Donald. A lot of rumblings that maybe he's going to run. I personally don't think he's going to run. I think he's going to grift as long as he can and then say, I'm sick of you all. Um, What do you think? I mean, you knew the man. Well, I know the man, and I would tell you that he's he's got amazing political instincts. You could hate him or not hate him, but he's got amazing political instincts. I'm going to tell you what I think he's going to do. He's going to sense it at the last minute. And I think you're right. He's going to blink and not run. And so what happened here is Glenn Youngkin showed these wussies. Are you allowed to say wussies on a city? Yes, you can. You could say that. He showed these wussies how to straddle the line, how to keep the Trump people in line without them breaking from you, and how to build, rebuild and re-knit a more normalized Republican coalition. I don't think it's super healthy, but he did do it. And I think what's going to happen now, there's going to be a bee swarm of these politicians that are going to come after Trump. That's the reason why he's attacking DeSantis right now. Yeah. You know, it's like a mean girl fight between two uh, bravados, but he's doing that because 
He wants to see if he still has that steamroller approach to this. And I predict he's going to fail at that. Because I, I think he's going to look at the numbers and say, I yeah. could lose. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he doesn't. He doesn't want to be a two-time loser to the American presidency. I don't. I don't. So I don't see him running. I see. There, I see that being too much risk for him. Yeah. But let me tell you something that I am worried about. He has Trumpists everywhere, and he has Trumpists that are in position in the chairmanships of the Republican Party. Yep. At various influential states. Okay, and so you know they could pull the rug on a lot of these more mainstream policies. Well, I will tell you this. And, and get him nominated by acclamation. You know, one thing I think will be interesting, if he does pull the plug, I think he'll pull the plug at the very last minute and say, you didn't do enough to secure the election, so now I'm not running, and none of my people should go out and vote. And that'll be really bad. Well, he helped the Democrats in Georgia with that. He did. He, he so, told everybody to stay home. And, uh, you know, I mean, I mean, let me tell you something. I think I may have said this to you on one of our shows. I want Stacey Abrams to run the Mets. <laughs> very effective. Okay. She's a the world she, championship. She's fantastic. She, she lit those guys up in Georgia, man. Once uh, she figured uh, out what they were doing to her uh, in terms of voter get suppression. Her, get her to run the Giants, man. Screw the Mets. Oh Mooch, God, I'm, I'm, I'm out of time with you. You know, I love you. We do an hour and it goes too quick, man. Where can people find you? What do you want them to know? Well, just at Scaramucci on Twitter is the best place. I also have a podcast. Uh, which you've been on, I have, which FM, and uh, would love to love to meet people there. And I appreciate you bringing me on. It. You are the best, Anthony Scaramucci. Thank you so much. So there's the mooch. I hope you enjoyed it. That's a perfect example of what I was talking about before the interview. You know, here's a guy who most of us three years ago, when he was working for Trump, probably thought he was a horrible human being. Then you get to know him; he really is a good guy. You know, I'm not going to agree with him on everything politically, but he is a good human being who really wants to do the right thing. And I think he thought when he was going to Trump that he could do the right thing there. I think a lot of people who went there thought they could do the right thing. And then they realized pretty quickly the problems with that man's personality made it almost impossible to do the right thing. And Anthony has been talking about it, frankly, for a very long time right now. And I, I really do appreciate him continuing to be generous with his time with me coming on my radio show, of course, the radio show interview makes it here into the podcast. So look, um, don't despair. I know a lot of my progressive friends out there are freaking out about where we are and, you know, God, God, oh my goodness. Uh, Biden's at 33%. He's going to lose. We're going to lose the midterms dramatically. And I guess if the midterms were held today, we would be pretty beaten pretty badly, right? It looks that way anyway. Although the generic ballot, question had democrats up by one point republicans had a nine point lead just like two months ago and the most recent generic ballot in the usa today poll had democrats up a point now democrats have to be up about six points for them to win nationally because the republicans have a gerrymandering advantage it might be 10 points after this gerrymander because god knows these guys are going to work their magic with uh, gerrymandering and create a map that uh, of course, undoes the will of the majority, which is what Republicans hope to do every single time in every single election because the majority is not with them. But I, I don't think it's out of the question that Democrats hold on to the Senate for sure, and maybe the House. There's going to be a lot of water between here and there, and the Supreme Court is going to weigh in uh, probably in June, probably the last thing they weigh in on this year, right before they leave town, on Roe v. Wade. 
And I believe they are going to gut it. Uh, and I believe it's going to be the equivalent of overturning it. And Democrats better be very clear in their message that the Supreme Court, the conservative Supreme Court, overturned Roe v. Wade if that's what happens. Anything short of knocking down the Mississippi and Texas laws by that court, in my opinion, is overturning Roe v. Wade. And that's the messaging the Democrats have to have. No wishy-washy, well, there's a bright sign here. No, they overturned it. Abortion is now illegal in many states and could be made illegal in any state should the Republican state legislature deem it so. That would be a big boost for Democrats in the midterms if they get that messaging right. Now, I won't put it past them to get the messaging wrong because they often do. And if you look at the Biden administration for the first year, they've gotten a lot of messaging points wrong, particularly around the economy. But uh, who knows? This could be a slam dunk, cut and dry message that could really ignite the Democratic base in a way we don't generally see in a midterm when there's a Democratic president. So let's hope, let's pray that uh, if that happens, and, and I hope it doesn't happen, but I have a feeling it will because that's what they've been building for for all these years. That's why Mitch McConnell stole a Supreme Court seat. That's why the Federalist Society exists to overturn Roe v. Wade and workers' rights, quite frankly. Same workers calling up, calling me a, a communist. They want to overturn their rights too. Um, that has been their goal all along. Let's just hope the Democrats don't mess up the messaging on it and rally their base so that we can have a Congress that can fix what the court is going to screw up. All right, so I think we've all had enough of me for one week, and I want to remind you now, as I always do, to seek the truth. Question everyone and everything, even me. Seek the truth. I know it's out there, and I know you'll find it if you look for it. And I'll be back here again next week to tell you the truth as I see it. I'm Chris Hahn. Thanks for listening to the Aggressive Progressive Podcast.